you can be an elder at any age and you can have True. experiences that help other people at any age. The greatest messages that I've received are from 65, 70 year olds who are like, I listened to your podcast and I just found out that I was trans and oh my God, I that, like, you know. Incredible. Content warnings for this episode include mental health, ableism, suicide, and dysphoria. Jennifer would like to acknowledge the Indigenous peoples and unceded lands that the producers, hosts, and guests have lived and dwelt upon. Today, we honor the Mohawk, Algonquin, and Anishinaabawaki. Uh, and the, also the Anishinaabe people on the Anishinaabawaki, um, and the Dakota people on the Minnesota Makoshe. We honor the elders, the human, plant, and animal ancestors of these lands, and celebrate the living descendants of these peoples. May all beings tend these lands for the goodness of the next seven generations and beyond. Meowdy folks, welcome to Genderful, a talk show interviewing gender diverse folks about their special interests. The name of our show celebrates that gender expansiveness is wonderful. Hi, I'm Gender Master, and my pronouns are they, them. Hi, I'm Atlas of Phoenix, and my pronouns are also they, them. The focus of our show is to interview trans, non-binary, agender, and gender-diverse people regarding their special interests, passion projects, and resources for the gender-diverse community. We want our audience to know that this show is hosted by two folks who also identify as non-binary, transmasculine, neurodivergent, and disabled with the passion for telling trans stories. We invite you to remember that we are whole people with robust lives, friendships, challenges, and successes. We love and are loved, and we are delighted to share these stories with you. As always, we kindly remind our listeners that no person is a monolith of their identities. Your identities can change over time and are valid every step of the way. And if you think you're gender diverse, you are gender diverse. There are no social or medical prerequisites to be included in the community. All right, so welcome to Genderful episode 96. Wow, oh my God, 96 <laughs> felt like, oh. we we got episode number 100 coming up, which is gonna be a special one. Uh, we also have episode 99 where we have a less special guest. That's gonna be fun. <laughs> it's, it's me, I'm the guest. Oh, okay. <laughs> a little bit of self-deprecating humor there. Uh, this week, our guest is Anna Faye, she pronounced, and is chatting with us about gender and disability. So along with her sister, Anna co-hosts the Transgender Podcast, which has been running since December of 2021. So welcome to Genderful, Anna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, well, it's lovely to have you here, and I'm hoping we have a, a pretty uh, a pretty informative discussion because uh, disability is something that um, I've recently become very acquainted with. Yes, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> for for those of you who don't know, I'm actually on disability leave from uh, from my job, so um, I've had to, I've had to deal with the whole disability uh, mega structure complex. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's a fairly new thing to me, kind of understanding it for myself, but I've yeah. also been doing work with it for a couple of years now. So I really wanted to kind of explore that within the space and kind of talk about my own experiences and share that. Yeah, for sure. Because I think there's a lot of things about being disabled or having a disability that uh, people who don't deal with those things on a regular basis may not be aware of and uh, I'm hoping that's something we can cover during the show because uh, oh boy having to go through the system myself uh, it's not been, fun 
yeah, it's been an eye-opening experience. And it's, uh, yeah, like you said, it, it's, uh, it hasn't been altogether enjoyable. So. <laughs> uh, so we have a couple of questions that we like to ask all of our guests. Uh, the first one being, uh, what might be the things you can trace back to your youth that indicated you might be gender diverse one day? Um, so my dad really likes to bring up this one uh, situation when I was like three, where we were dressing up uh, like at, a children's museum or something and um he was like what do you want to be when you grow up and I said I want to be a girl (laughs) (laughs) so I think that uh there was a pretty good indication that I was probably going to be gender diverse when I grew up um but yeah no I I really like to point to when I was about 12 I had unrestricted access to the internet, which for better or worse is a thing that a lot of people have access to. In mm. my case, a lot better. Um, and I was able to find out what being trans was, find the language, um, and be able to kind of put that language into practice, started finding my identity. Um, at that point, I would have, you know, started dressing more femininely, um, at least in private. Um, and then kind of continued through my middle school years. I wore a skirt my entire eighth grade year. Uh, I said it was in protest because the school in their dress code had uh, skirts are only for girls. Um, oh. and I was like, I'm going to protest this by wearing a skirt. It was just a reason to wear a skirt all year. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, then um, kind of when COVID hit, I socially transitioned uh, at around 18. So going on about three years, four years strong in my transition here. Oh, that's, that's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the internet has really been a, a very powerful tool for, for folks who are, for gender diverse, because, uh, if you like, so I grew up before the internet, um, and, uh, oh boy, there was no information on this sort of thing, uh, when I was growing up. So, uh, just having access to that information, it's like, oh, you can, you can assign, you can assign, um, labels the feelings that you have and you realize that other people also feel this way and that's 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 a really powerful feeling and I'm very glad that you had the opportunity to kind of explore that in a safe environment yeah Uh, now how would you say your relationship has to to gender has evolved over time this is a harder question um so I I always felt like something was wrong. I think that a lot of trans people can point to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I uh, I started out by just believing that I was a woman. And that didn't feel right. So I was like, well, maybe I'm a demigirl. And that didn't feel right either. So it was kind of this like interesting kind of phase where I was trying to figure things out. I was already trying to explore my gender identity and kind of what my gender expression was. Um, And then right around when I turned like a a year or two after the pandemic, so like two or three years into my transition, when I turned about 20, 21, um, I found uh, faith fair pronouns. And I was like, that's, that's it right there. Um, And so I kind of always knew that I was going to be non-binary. I just didn't have like the right label for that. Mm. Um, So that's kind of like my personal transition and I'm still kind of figuring out what my gender expression is. Um, However, I'm also a co-host of the Raven Conspiracy and it's been very fascinating to experience um, the whole systems 
gender diversity and transition um because you know we've had gender affirming surgery and so that was something that we as a whole system had to agree on um but yeah we the whole system identifies as a non-binary um uh it's a demi fay is what we identify as so sort okay. of like non-binary nothing kind of fay gender um experience and it's been really it's honestly just been really fascinating to understand how gender and being trans has influenced and has been influenced by DID. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, I mean, neo pronouns is not something that I have a lot of personal experience with. So for those of us uh, who are listening that may kind of not realize like what is so what is like Faye, what does that pronoun mean to you? Yeah, I had um oh I'm trying to remember the exact situation I had somebody the other day oh was my advisor so I'm going back to school this uh mm. this, this fall and I had I was meeting with my advisor and she was like I've never seen Faye Fair before but when I think about it it makes me think of like something glittery like running through the woods and I was like oh. you're actually pretty close to it um you know for <sighs> me I am a, a witch and I'm a kind of a spiritual person um mm. and so for me the 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 fae gender is kind of aligning with the fairies and the um and sort of their mischievous but also like ethereal and beautiful nature um mm. you know i i like to be out in the woods and be around in nature i have elf ears in my purse that i've sometimes put on to help Aww. express my gender um and so you know it's it's a very um Mira me said so trickster gender in the chat and I think that that is yes. probably pretty good <laughs> um yeah so it it's you know I try to embody the fairies in my gender and I mm. feel connected to my spirituality in that no that's that's a really good explanation and uh, I, re I really like that uh and yeah the whole trickster as a gender I mean I never thought of that I mean I definitely identify as a trickster but not so much as my gender I, I'm just I'm just a woman who likes to uh play pranks on people and uh generally be a chaos gremlin so that's that's my vibe you know I I love that I taught myself when I was younger how to like pickpocket and lockpick and I uh one of my favorite activities was pickpocketing someone's phone and reverse pickpocketing it onto them in a different pocket so oh. they would have no idea where their phone was oh my um, god one of my favorite things to do when I was like 14. <laughs> oh my god so I actually that reminds me of a funny story once where like I pickpocketed my friend's phone to do the exact same thing yeah. but then um but then like my neuro spicy brain forgot that I had done that <laughs> so I just stole his phone and and then you know we left wherever we were and I still had his phone and then I got a call on his phone he's like why do you have my phone <laughs> it's like oh whoops <laughs> I love that so much. I, I, yeah, the Nero Spicy hits me differently than a lot of things. I When I went through psych testing, they were like, we can't diagnose you with anything, but you definitely have the Nero Spicy going on something. Mm. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I never, I've not had so much of like the short term, uh, you know, like attention deficit however uh lily who is another co-host of the raving conspiracy definitely has that like attention deficit and will forget what she is in the middle of doing yeah yeah 
Uh, so let's go ahead and segue into our main topic for the discussion. Uh, so the first question we have is, what are your disabilities and gender and how do they impact each other? We kind of touched upon the gender already, but I'm yeah. more interested in how they intersect. Yeah, so I have fibromyalgia um, and I have a pretty bad case of it. Uh, just from having talked with a lot of other people who have fibro, you mm. know, I um, I usually use a cane to walk around and um, have had periods where it's been like I have been bed bound because of it. Um, I also have DID, um, which is I, I would consider another type of disability. Um, I'm neurospicy. And so all of these kind of could be considered disabilities. And in, in a lot of ways, I find them debilitating. Um, we kind of touched on the gender, like you said, I, I like to say that my disabilities inform my gender in the same way that my gender inform my disabilities and mm. how we interact with them. Um, so, you know, the fibro sometimes limits the way that I'm able to express my gender, you know, sometimes I want to wear heels and that's just not something <sighs> that I can really do all the time. Um, but what I can do is decorate my cane. So my cane has a whole bunch of like queer stickers and trans uh -huh. stickers on it. Um, and sometimes when I am wanting to express myself, I try and build in some of that disability into it as well. So um, whether that be a... Um, wearing a corset like today I'm wearing a corset for example to kind of help straighten my back and give me sort of that hourglass look but also sometimes you just want to accessorize in a fun and interesting way so you know get some fancy compression socks or something like that and really kind of jazz up some of your disability to make it not more palatable to other people but more palatable to yourself I guess you know there's yeah it's it's hard sometimes to accept that you have a disability and so they can kind of you can make it easier on your own brain to accept and recognize that yeah absolutely and that's something that like if you're not born with a disability and you become disabled later in life it's uh it's it is something that's like can be hard to accept depending on the nature of the disability and uh, how much it affects your life so um well, and you know fibro is something that i looking back i've recognized i've had probably since i was a child um mm. but it's not something that i've really like found out about until later in life and so you know yeah. i think that's important to remember too is that disabilities can be a lifelong thing and they can be something that you just didn't know about until you really started looking into it or talking about it and mm -hmm. and talking with people who have similar experiences mm -hmm. And yeah, like, and fibro is a tough one. Like I've, I've known a couple of people that have had that and it's, uh, it's very much like quote unquote, like invisible disability. And mm -hmm. it's something that's very difficult to get, you know, a proper diagnosis for. Uh, so there's a lot of medical professionals that like, I'm sure there's a lot of medical professionals. They don't even think it's a real, it's a real condition. I so, went to a physical therapist who did not think it was a real thing and told yeah. me, uh, basically told me to stop using a cane uh, even though I'm like, this helps me to move. <laughs> like, what are you, what are you saying? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, like it, it is something that unfortunately we're still having to fight the stigma of, um, 
like trans broken arm syndrome it's like fibro broken arm <laughs> syndrome <laughs> yeah yeah so it's you know it's it's something I, I i have quite a quite a lot of sympathy for as you know uh cuz i've had my own struggles with the medical system and just getting people to listen to you is is can be really really difficult sometimes so uh, I mean, good for you that you have the the supports that you need and uh, good for you that you're able to kind of express yourself in ways that kind of accommodate, uh, you know, the other things you have going on in your life. So, uh, you know, everyone's, everyone's story is different and we all like to express ourselves in different ways. And uh, there's your, your way of expressing yourself isn't more or less valid than anyone else's. So that's exactly. uh, it's good to see that. Um, um Mirami asked a question that I want to kind of answer, which is, could you define broken, trans broken arm syndrome for anyone who hasn't heard the term? I haven't heard that um, term either, so yeah, I'm so, glad Mirami asked. <laughs> so trans broken arm syndrome is a um, way to talk about di uh, discrimination towards trans people um, using the example of if a trans person goes to a like healthcare provider for a broken arm and that healthcare provider is like oh well your arm is broken because you are trans you know and kind of attributing your ailment to you being trans um or it, in the reverse of that erasing your trans identity from you know whatever ailment you have so um you know you have a broken arm well i'm just not even going to accept you as a you know patient because you're trans or i'm not going to recognize that you have these intersecting identities um that's kind of the briefest overview that i can give of it but um if you're at all interested i really highly recommend that you take a look at it and kind of um exactly what juice uh text said which is being like it's broken because of those hormones or such exactly yeah um, yeah no that's something uh i mean I, I haven't heard it uh to uh i haven't heard it referred to as trans broken arm syndrome but that concept is something i'm very familiar with and is not something that's limited to just trans people because mm -hmm. it's basically like whenever someone has a lifestyle change that someone doesn't agree with and then something bad happens to them, there is this tendency to attribute that bad thing to the lifestyle change that they don't agree with. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so I experienced that a lot when, so I used to do the keto diet and uh, literally anything that bad that ever happened to me, it's like, oh, well, it's cause you're doing that bad diet. Like, no, <laughs> <laughs> it's unrelated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, the, the attribute, like, just the erasure of medical mm. problems because of an identity that someone has or something that they're doing. Or, um, you know, I, I used to work on an on the ambulance as an EMT and the amount of discrimination that I saw from providers towards patients, you know, yes, we would help them and we would try to do everything for them. But mm. the amount of like afterward of like, oh, well, that patient, you know, this is like their third call in two months because they keep doing drugs or whatever and it's like hey chill out a little bit <laughs> you know like let's let's maybe not be so yeah. so like discriminatory towards people who are fighting addiction and are fighting yeah you know, exactly. oppression exactly i mean like 
like spoiler alert people don't do drugs because their life is going well and they're happy so <laughs> exactly um, yeah i mean they're just because they have a, an addiction that doesn't mean they're any less deserving of of, of help and uh and juice brought up a good point that i was actually thinking about when i was relating my story is like fat people uh, get this a lot so if you're overweight and you go to see the doctor for anything it's whatever you got going on it's because you're overweight it's like well you need to lose weight well you know <laughs> Maybe maybe this this other thing has nothing to do with my weight. So I don't really like I I'm technically overweight or like in the obese category from the like medical side, but I don't consider myself to be like overweight very much at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and I almost was denied being able to get surgery and was told by my surgeon that you will oh that, yeah like directly you will die if you have the surgery basically yeah um, because of the 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 like stupid bmi system thank you Mirami. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so i mean like I, that's something that i'm kind of like pursuing for some some point in the future and i know because so uh, i live in canada and we have one clinic in the entire country that that does that does mtf bottom surgery and uh and yeah you do have to be below a certain bmi before they'll take you on as a client it's so, so stupid. Yeah. And so like, that stupid. was part of the motivation to start losing weight. I mean, I was already planning on doing that, but it's also, it's like, Hey, this is a bonus. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a medical reason for it. I don't know if I'd super believe it, but <laughs> I, I can't say as a medical professional, if there is or isn't, but as a personal, yes. there really isn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm a doctor. Disclaimer, I am not a doctor. Please don't take medical advice from me. Go listen to your uh, medical practitioner. <laughs> so these are just my these are just my unqualified opinions. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, you're not my patient. Don't take anything I'm yes. saying as medical advice. <laughs> uh, all right. So again, the whole neurospice, I get so easily distracted, which is not not a good trait to have in a podcast host, but uh, good thing I have a list of questions in front of me to help me. <laughs> uh, so how, how would progressing through your gender tradition, I'm sorry, let me, let's try that one again. How has progressing through your gender transition helped you with understanding your disabilities? I, I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but I think kind of getting into more of the specifics of that, the, um, the way that people expect you to be as a woman or as a man um, or as a non-binary person is very much a, you have to fit these societal norms, these societal expectations. Um, so how how I see myself as a woman and how other people see me as a woman or as a, as a non-binary uh, individual, um, you know, having a disability or having, I guess, a few disabilities means that I really have to overcompensate. Um, so I can't wear heels. And so how do I then compensate it for myself with that? And how mm -hmm. do I compensate for other people with that? You know, unfortunately, unfortunately, we still live in a society where the expectation is that people fit into these boxes. Um, and so how can I, as a woman, fit into the box of woman if I'm using a cane or if I am walking slowly or, you know, needing to take my time 
um, getting easily distracted, you know, any of these things that um, that could be attributed to a disability. Um, so I think understanding my own gender transition has opened up my ability to understand my disabilities and has opened up my ability to um, look inward and look at how I'm really being affected by the things in my life, such as fibro, such as uh, neurospicy, you know, DID. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I that was kind of a long <laughs> roundabout way to answer oh, no. the question, but um, yeah, no, I think I think that the short answer of that is gender identity has given me the tools understanding my gender identity has given me the tools to understand intersectionality and how intersectionality um, influences my life and influences power dynamics and influences gender. You know, it it really has um, it really has allowed us to, I don't know, to just be ourselves a little bit more and to to recognize that. Um, I will also say just because I accidentally slipped into it, I use um, single singular pronouns and plural pronouns for myself and the system interchangeably sometimes. Mm. Um, so if you see me saying like us or we or something, it's because I'm kind of trying to include the rest of the system as well. Right, right. No, that's, um, you know, that's absolutely valid. I mean, there's, uh, there's different ways that our society kind of perceives gender and um, and yeah, if you're also perceived as being disabled, I mean, in an ideal society, that shouldn't really affect how people view you, but we don't live in an ideal society, unfortunately. So exactly. Um, now we've, we've kind of already touched upon this a little. Uh, now, how would you say your identities have been medicalized and treated? Um, so I went through psych testing uh, earlier this year and they couldn't identify the neurospicy that I had. Uh, I went through ADHD testing. They were like, you definitely don't have ADHD, even though you have all of the signs of ADHD. Um, you know, they, they had me, everything pointed to it, except for like the test where they like, you know, you have to click on the thing when it shows up. I don't know. Uh, they were like, everything except for that showed that you had ADHD. Then I went through autism testing and they were like, well, you're showing a lot of signs of autism, but you have a lot of emotional intelligence. And so it's like, are you masking your autism? Are you, we don't know. Um, and I come from a lot of, uh, of a traumatic background. And so I think that what we have kind of decided on is that the trauma is my neuro, <laughs> my neuro spicy um, and not necessarily like autism or ADHD or something. And I just have a lot of autistic and ADHD like traits. Um, fibro is a little bit different. Um, as you said, it's a, it's an invisible disability. Um, and I have had, um, oh gosh, I am totally blanking now. I've had physical therapy, um, which did not go well. I had, uh, I go to interventional pain management where they like inject my shoulders with like lidocaine or something to break up some of that muscle tissue and it, it's you know I, I'd really rather just 
you know, it, I'd rather not be going there, but it helps me to like live my life. Mm. Um, and then DID is, I think, really where this comes into play. I have had so much of my my identity erased medically because DID is still a condition that people don't believe is real. Um, mm. You know, I I've had people look at me and tell me directly to my face, oh, you're making it up or, um, you know, this isn't a real thing. Or are you sure that you have DID? Like, I, <laughs> like, I, are you sure? I know that you've been diagnosed with it, yeah. but are you certain that you have it? Have, uh, have you tried not being DID? Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Very much the same energy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have really tried to implement ways to incorporate other people from the system and part of mm. it is that we got our DID diagnosis about a year ago and it's been a long year of trying to figure out and how uh how to do that uh how to do that <laughs> sorry brain is near spicy yeah. kicking in um how to work with the plurality um <laughs> but it's been really cool to see so many individuals in our system starting to come mm -hmm. out and show their faces and show, you know, their identities. Um, you know, my public presence is as Anna and as, you know, this fun trans woman host. Um, but that doesn't necessarily speak for the whole experience of the yeah. Raven conspiracy. Um, and so I'm glad that I can like kind of share that and talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something that really needs to be talked about more. I mean, I I learned about uh, like plurality fairly recently because we have uh, we have actually a lot of folks in our in our community that are plural. We have a whole section in our Discord for uh, exploring plurality, and uh, I mean, coming from the generation that I come from, uh, that was kind of seen as as a you know quote unquote a mental disorder, mm -hmm. uh, but it just had never really occurred to me that that's just a different way to exist. And, yeah. I, and I think that's, that's wonderful and fascinating that, uh, that you can, you can live as a collection of different identities. Uh, and just, it just kind of shows how diverse the human experience can be and how, uh, uh, how just wonderful and how different everyone can be. So I mean, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, so, and the more I, the more I learn about it, the more it's like, oh yeah, I mean, there's, and I, I kind of wish that like more people kind of like had that attitude because I think there's like kind of this knee jerk reaction of most folks that kind of anything that's kind of different from their own experience is to is to kind of try to take it down or or you know mock it or or you know you know try to ostracize these people. But if you just kind of accept it as just a different way to experience life, you know that's mm -hmm. you know it's it's beautiful. Uh, I love it. Um, Mirami brought up a really good point too, which mm -hmm. I was going to touch on, which is, um, and the human adjacent experience as well. Um, mm -hmm. We have some non-human alters in the Raven mm -hmm. conspiracy. Um, and so, you know, yes, we live in a human body, but that doesn't necessarily ex uh, explain all of the experience. So thank you, Mirami, for bringing that up as well. Yes, yes. So I just, uh, I, I like to learn about it because it's it's so completely different from from my own personal experience. Um, and I, I want to know more about it. So it's, it's, and I feel like, um, people don't talk about it enough. They really don't. 
they really don't especially (laughs) especially plurality but Uh disabilities in general is not discussed enough and is so often Mm -hmm. erased Mm -hmm. yeah 100 percent uh so where would you say is the space for disability activism in trans spaces and vice versa this is the question that I think I'm most excited about, and oh. I don't know why, um, but I, this has been something that I've been learning and teaching myself about as well, uh, a lot of in the past year or two, um, which is the trans and disabled intersection is so much bigger than people realize. Um, you know, and, and I think part of that is that when you have the tools to understand intersectionality and understand 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 um where your identities are you are able to then learn more about the identities that you maybe have missed in your life such as your disability uh identities um so where is the space it is it, it is at pride it is at uh it is at events it is in spaces like this, it is wherever there is queer activism and space and experiences happening, there also should be disabled, disability, accessibility, um, all of those spaces also need to have also have a place there sorry my brain is like all over the place today no, it's all good it, uh, you're doing great <laughs> uh normally i'm much more um fluent in than this but um i'm not masking as hard today so i think that's part of it um no but wherever you have a queer space there should be accessibility and there should be a disabled representative uh, representation there as well um you know i think about interpretation um i've planned a lot of queer events in my community and one of the biggest things that we dedicate a large portion of our budget to is um uh oh my god i just said the word now i can't think of it um uh asl interpreters there we go that's the word i was looking for um because they make events so much more accessible to mm-hmm. our to our deaf folks and to the people who aren't able to experience all of the event otherwise. Um, and especially when we have uh, music going on or speakers or things that we want to have shared with the community we can't ignore our deaf and disabled communities in that either mm-hmm. that was a yeah. really long again roundabout no, you're, answer, you're, but, you're fine uh, you're doing great <laughs> i this is a topic that um like i said i'm still very much getting used to and getting mm-hmm. um getting into and so um if it sounds like i am thinking on the spot and thinking as I'm like talking that's why because I'm still drawing on information that is still fresh and new Mm -hmm. and hasn't really been um you know developed as thoroughly as some of the other like gender talking points no and that that's perfectly fair uh I mean it's when you bring up like pride so I I mean personally I attended my first pride event since coming out uh about a month ago and and I saw 
plenty of disabled folks there. And, you know, my co-host, Gender Meowster, is is also disabled. And, you know, they were very happy to take their wheelchair out for their first spin for the first time. So <laughs> that's, uh, we crowdfunded here on this channel, actually. Um, but, uh, but yeah, just seeing, it's, like you said, the intersection between disability and gender diversity is, is a fairly large one. And mm -hmm. we can't just leave these folks behind. Like, no. we, we have to, we have to make room for everyone. So regardless of your abilities, uh, like everyone has to be welcome and there has to be like room for everyone to be there. As much as I have some gripes with the biggest pride in Minnesota, the Twin Cities pride, um, I have to say that they did an amazing job of having an accessible map and having a, mm. um, having places where there were quiet zones and there were routes planned out for mm -hmm. people who need some of that more sensory uh, deprivation, I guess is the best word yes. for it. Um, the one thing that I will say was a struggle, especially as someone who was using a cane was there's a lot of walking that was involved mm -hmm. and not a lot of space to move around. Um, it was very crowded. And so, you know, we had to go with the flow. We couldn't, um, we couldn't take our time as much as we needed to. We couldn't, you know, use the tools and aids that we have developed and need to be able to move effectively. So um, it's, it's important to also recognize that while some things can be good, like an accessible map, other things still need work. They, there's sure. space for both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's we can't really fall into that tra trap of complacency. It's like, oh well, we did the one thing and we're done. It's like, no, yes. it's yeah, it's you got to keep working on it. It's 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 a process that never ends. So, um, yeah, yeah, we definitely have to. There's there's still like we've come a long way, but there's still a long way to go. It's, well, and this doesn't even include. This is all like physical and sensory dis disabilities. It doesn't even include the. Um, the DID aspect of it, you know, where is, mm. where is plurality at Pride? Where is, um, mm. you know, where are these plural artists and creators and experiences um, in, in these Prides? I, all of the uh, pluralities that I know have queer and trans identities. So why aren't we talking more about that? Um, yeah, absolutely yeah. agree. I mean, uh, yeah, like we were saying before that it's not talked about it. Like personally, I I first heard about this like a year ago. So exactly. <laughs> so um, the the only reason I got my diagnosis was because I had a friend who was diagnosed, and mm -hmm. um they were sharing their experiences, and I was like, oh, I have those experiences. Maybe I should get you know, um you know, maybe I should consider learning more about this. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was a year ago. Uh, and, and I think that we are getting better at understanding yeah. these identities, but um, it's still a ongoing process and something that is another accessibility thing that we should be talking about. Mm -hmm. I am a huge advocate for anytime you meet someone asking, what's your name? What's your pronouns? Um, and this isn't just like a plurality thing. This is also like a gender fluid thing or a yeah. um, different experience, uh, any part of the dissociative experience. Um, 
because, you know, people, especially trans people know the experience of changing their names, having different pronouns. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so if we always are asking, then we take the stigma off of pluralities and also off of trans people, you know, Mm -hmm. what's your name? What's your pronouns? What do I refer to you as? What do you want to be? You know, how can I refer to you? All those are amazing things that I recommend we do anytime we meet someone. Um, I mean, heck, in our green room, I asked Miranda yes. what what your pronouns were. So yes, you know, it's it's important. <laughs> I was that just, we... I was just gonna mention that. Uh, so yeah, that's something that like I hundred percent agree with. That something should be normalized quite a bit more than it already has been. And uh, I mean, I need I need to recognize that I need to do better with that because I don't always ask pronouns and and. Uh, it's, it's still because like I, I mean, I identify as, you know, as a binary woman. Um, so the, the non-binary experience, while I have many friends who are non-binary, that's not my lived experience. So mm-hmm. I sometimes forget that's like, oh, right. You know, there are other genders be- besides like men and women. So, yeah. Uh, so like it's, sometimes like my brain just assigns pronouns to people. It's like, no, 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 I shouldn't go with that like first knee jerk assumption. I should always ask. Well, and the the presentation too is a big part, you know, mm-hmm. uh, being a non-binary, uh, a demi-fay woman uh, and, and a demi-fay system, um, we oftentimes get coded as woman. And it's like, sure, you know, that's, that's a part of our identity and you can use she, her for us. And that's completely acceptable. But um, something that's always missed and the reason why I put Faith Fair first is because, uh, it's so often missed from our identity. And it's so important mm. that we recognize that as well. Um, yeah. You know, those intersectional and neo-pronoun identities. Yeah. And I feel like there needs to be kind of um, like better education for for folks who, uh, for the folks that use more than one set of pronouns. Uh, Cause I, you know, when I first started joining queer spaces, you know, I see people that use more than one set of pronouns, like, you know, like the she, they's, he, they's, uh, faith fairs and, and she, hers and that sort of thing. It's like, well, which one do I use? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I've since learned that like, there's kind of a, <clears throat> there's kind of a, uh, uh, a way of like denoting, like which ones are preferred. Uh, but like for, for the normies out there that don't necessarily interact in queer spaces, that can be very overwhelming. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like we should kind of be out there educating more a little bit. It's like, Hey, it's like, there are people who use different pronouns and this is, this is kind of like the recommended usage of when you should be using them. I just want to shout this out. Juliet Maddie says, when asked by cis people, I love telling people to use the pronouns that makes them the least comfortable. <laughs> I love that so much. I, I'm i going to start adopting that. Use the pronouns oh, yes. that make you the least comfortable. I, because I love make that. Me so I, honestly, I love making people uncomfortable. So like my, exactly. uh, so like I have a, my dead name is, is, is ethnic. And um, it can be pronounced in more than one way. And sometimes people would ask me, so like, do you pronounce it this way or this way? And it's like, people always ask me that. And I always say the same thing. How dare you speak to me? <laughs> do not perceive me. <laughs> um, yeah, so my full name is Aliana. Uh, and people misspell it, mispronounce it all the time. It's Alina, it's... Uh, I mean, I, I've never gotten Aliana 
maybe once, maybe one time since I changed my name have I gotten Aliana. And so that's why I go by Anna is because it's it's just easier for me mm-hmm. to be like, I don't want to hear Alina all the time. Um, but yeah, no, I have a very similar experience of like, yeah, how how dare you? Yeah, how dare you perceive also me? Like- since since changing my name to Miranda, like I, it's it's been a very strange experience of like people not struggling to say my name anymore, mm-hmm. and and now I just like I hear my name in like other contexts where it's like uh, this happened to me recently when I was playing the game Mass Effect and there's a character in that game called Miranda and every time they would say Miranda I was like oh how do they know my name it's like oh wait that's right there's no because like usually when I hear my name it's like it's a very uncommon name. So I don't hear it in other contexts. So it's yeah. it's very yeah it's it's it was a it was a, it was a transition you know no pun intended. Um, <laughs> it's funny because uh, Anna is also one that I get a lot, and Anna is fine. I I'm mm-hmm. fine with Anna. I have a German background, so Anna is like close enough. But Anna is mm-hmm. like how you pronounce it. Um, yeah. And so I find it so funny that you know not only do we assume people's identities, we also assume their names. I mean, heck, I've been doing it with Twitch chat. Like, I don't know how to pronounce half these um, <laughs> the, these usernames. And so uh, I feel like a- another thing that we can do when we ask people, what's your name? What's your pronouns? We get to hear how they pronounce it, how yes. they use it um, and are able to then respond to that accordingly. You know, mm-hmm. if, if I were like, oh, it's Anna. And then if someone were to look at me and be like, Anna, I'd be like, okay that feels that feels intentional at this point yes yes <laughs> uh, uh, yay <laughs> uh so these these next couple of questions we've kind of already talked about a fair amount but uh i mean i want to talk about it more because as i've said a couple of times during this pod uh this isn't talked about enough so uh what can you tell us about your experience with plurality yeah so I was diagnosed with DID about a year ago. Um, And since then, um, I'd have to look at the exact numbers, but I think we have about 27 alters and growing, um, which isn't that few, but it's also not like that many, all all things considering there really isn't a like average number of alters for people, um, at least that I know of. I think uh, one of my one of my friends who is a system, um, they have about uh, like 50 alters, I think. Um, and and in my experience, those alters can kind of be, um, you know, their own. They come out infrequently, too frequently, too all the time. You know, I'd say I'm one of the most frequent fronters of Anna, Feishi. Mm. Um, but we also have Lily, who is cisgender and a demon, who's a co-host. Um, she comes out fairly frequently, usually when I'm at home and not really like out in public. She doesn't really like to like show her face then because she has to mask a lot because <laughs> mm. people don't understand DID, unfortunately. Um, mm. We have like Max, who is uh, they, them, non-binary, and um, they are a combination of uh, myself, Lily, and then um, Eva, which if you've seen Wally, um, uh, Eva, or Eve, I guess, I don't remember her exact name, is the <laughs> like little robot that Wally falls in love with. Yes. Um, and so that's an intersection or uh, a uh, interject from, from that. So yeah. Um, 
yeah, we have a couple of uh, cool, cool altars in us. Um, if any of you have seen Owl House, Rain Whispers is one of our altars. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's there's a couple of different cool people in there. Um, but yeah, I, the most interesting thing that I have experienced personally is having an understanding and reasons as to why things happen now you know why I wake up sometimes while I'm doing something or well I uh like wake up and realize that I'm wearing something that I didn't remember putting on or you know something like that um and we have a semi-severe um case of um catatonia so when we uh go dissociative like our whole body just collapses um that's led to a couple of falls thankfully we have like training on how to fall properly um but you know so that's also led to some situations of like we don't want to hit our head we don't want to um, right, you know right. do, put ourselves in any danger um and so it's just been nice to have some of those answers to why those things are happening um yeah i i think that kind of about answers the experience question <laughs> yeah so for those uh, listening that who are kind of like not familiar with the concept of uh plurality or did can we maybe kind of define what that is yeah so DID or dissociative identity disorder is a um, is one of the extreme ends of the dissociative scale. Um, usually happens to individuals who have experienced childhood trauma, um, and it is a coping mechanism um, where individuals who um, didn't have support or uh, you know were developing um, in a unforgiving i i think is i'm okay to say that environment um mm-hmm. are develop people to help support them so um and that is sort of internally the experience so for me i am uh one of the people who uh is classified as the apparent normal parts or there are a couple different names and so i'm likely the person who was the person who developed DID, if that makes sense. Um, But then like Lily is a pleasure seeking alter. So her job is to, um, you know, find ways to comfort the system, to get needs met, um, you know, those comfort needs met. Um, Eva uh, is a gatekeeping alter. So she kind of determines who's coming in and out of the system um like fronting which is kind of who is present at any given time um yeah i am trying to think of what else um to those who have plurality i'm sorry for (laughs) saying this but um it used to be known as multiple personality disorder that is no longer a used or acceptable term um usually so we try and stick to did or plurality um because they aren't necessarily just personalities they are like fully realized actual people yeah yeah and it's something that um i mean most folks listening would have some sort of idea what it is uh it's something that like 
for better or worse, gets um, gets presented in a lot of media and popular culture. Uh, sometimes in ways that are realistic, sometimes sometimes in ways that are not so realistic. Um, so, I mean, if you could say to people who their only experience with DID is what they see in film, um, how does that, how is the reality different from that? A lot of ways. Um, I think the biggest thing, and this isn't just towards DID, uh, but I have been called um, violent by people uh, who don't super understand mental health uh, or, or DID. Um, I am not a violent person. I, I really hope that, um, that that's known. Um, but uh, something that is portrayed often is um, that people who have mental health uh, issues, I guess is the best word that I can think of for that. Um, disorders, whatever kind of terminology you want to use, um, are violent or are seen as, um, you know, other. Um, and that isn't necessarily the experience that a lot of us have. Sybil is kind of the best uh, thing that people know about DID, and it is the worst. It's just the worst experience and movie and everything about um, about DID ever. I do not recommend people watch Sybil, especially if you are a plurality, because it is really triggering, to be honest. <laughs> um, Juice brings up the whole Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde trope um, as well, which is mm -hmm. a very common thing. You know, you have an alter who's like ultra violent or, you know, you have this like secret past or something. And that's just not really how it is. A lot of us just mm -hmm. try and work and keep the system safe is the main thing. So um Another thing is um, we use the term alters. Uh, some people use different terms. Um, when referring to the physical body, we call that the body as well or, or the system. So there are a couple different terms there as well. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that I hit the question there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So again, this is something that like I uh, I really feel like more people should should know about and unfortunately most people's only exposure to this sort of thing is what they see in you know hollywood and stuff like that so um i mean there are some some more positive portrayals uh i think one of my favorite portrayals is in a little show called doom patrol where one of the characters is uh is plural and it is very deeply explored it within that show um and that's i i absolutely adore that show i think everyone should go watch it but i don't know if you're familiar with it so i really be really okay so it's like it's like a superhero show but not a superhero show it's oh. it's it's about a group of misfits who get together and they all have problems and they're all working through their problems that and sounds awesome yes it is it's very weird it's unapologetically queer uh we love yes. that Yes, it is. Uh, it's such a fantastic show. Um, I love it to death. Uh, but one of the characters is plural, and uh, she describes uh, she describes her different personalities as like being part of like an underground. So we can see her like in her mind's eye. It's like because it's a you know it's a science fiction superhero show where they actually get to travel into the underground and and meet all the different uh, characters that form part of her system. So, um, yeah, that's something that, like, I'd be really curious to hear uh, thoughts of people who actually have this as a lived experience as to 
um, how good of a representation that is. Uh, but also, I'm going to. Oh, sorry. Juice also oh, brings up a good one, yes. which is Moon Knight, which is what I was going to bring up. Uh, Moon Knight, mm. uh, which is a Marvel uh, TV show, uh, canonically has DID. And um, I can't speak for everyone who has plurality because I am one person. I one person yes. who is a plurality, I guess. Yes. Um, but um, <laughs> Moon Knight was pretty positive to me, um, and it showed the catatonia and the mm, yeah. um, you know the the experiences of like hearing people talk to you who aren't necessarily talking to you. Right. Right. Yeah, and that's something that's like I I would assume is very difficult to explain to someone who doesn't have that that experience. Very um, hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I just like honestly, I I can't imagine the experience of just like you know just waking up and you're like you don't remember how you got there, you don't remember how you got into those clothes, or uh, that to me that sounds absolutely terrifying. It is the first couple times yeah. after like once you kind of. I think that humans are pretty good at adapting to situations. And once it kind of happens a couple of times, you just accept it as part of your reality. What I will say is having a diagnosis of DID has allowed me to understand those better and to adapt to them better, um, you know, develop tools that um, mm-hmm. that are able to help me understand that kind of stuff, um, you know, waking mm-hmm. up in a body uh, or waking up in clothes that I don't remember putting on or waking up somewhere that I'm like, I don't remember how I got here. I don't know what's going on, um, you know. And um, thankfully I've got a really supportive partner who has helped me to kind of reorient some of that thinking. No, that's 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 really awesome. Um, I had a thought there and then I lost it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that feeling is so, so frustrating. Oh my God, yes. It happens all the time. It's like, uh, <laughs> I might find it later. That's that's okay. Yeah, Uh, yeah. We'll we'll just move on. Um, So, I would just say your plurality has affected your experience of gender and disability. Yeah, I I'm probably one of a non. I I don't know. I actually I'm not going to recount that statement uh, that I was thinking of in my own brain. Um, I think that I am a person who classifies DID as a disability. Um, I'm not necessarily sure on what other systems think about that, what uh, other health professionals think about that. But um, mm. to me, it seems like a very debilitating thing, especially with the catatonia like that mm. has led to quite a lot of difficulty for me. Um, what I will say about my gender is that it has allowed me the experience to live in different gender identities for the people who are in my system. Mm. I'm gonna kind of explain that a little bit better because I was thinking about that as I was saying it, but um, part of my identity is woman. And we have a lot of non-binary individuals in our system. And so they don't have woman as their identity or they might be trans mask or um, not experience the same sort of like feminine experience that I do. Um, And so what understanding DID has allowed me to do is help those alters find their, um, find their own genders and start to express them and experience them. Um, Mm. Unfortunately, 
my closet is very feminine still um <laughs> but we have like a button up and a blazer and some of that other stuff that really helps some of those non-binary alters to feel more in line with their own gender and gender expressions um and you know like it, it, it was a thing that we all had to agree to when i was going through surgery uh was how are we going to ex like are we going to agree on this are we going to be able to um share this experience in a really helpful helpful manner no that sounds very difficult because uh i mean speaking from personal experience like questioning your gender and going through your transition is is hard enough when you have to do it once when you have to do it for every single one of your alters that sounds uh that sounds like a lot <laughs> Yeah, and thankfully we're at a point where a lot of them have the tools that I have because there is some mm. like cross connections uh, and and memories. Um, but there definitely still is sometimes where um, some alters are going through their own kind of gender experiences and gender identity crises. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I think that gender identity has really helped or DID has really helped us to experience all of the spectrum of gender in mm -hmm. our system and not just focus in on the feminine or the um the fey gender uh, we do identify as a demi fey system so you know we still use fey fair even if it's raven you know the 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 system um but that doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is a fey fair identifying person or everyone is right, a they right. them identifying person you know so. yeah no for sure I, I mean like each each altar can have their own thing going on so um i know there is uh, in our community there is a uh we have someone who's plural who their various altars all pretty much all have different pronouns so um and it's just it's it's so fascinating to me that you can have you know in one body you can have so many different expressions you can have so much gender in this one container. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's it's like it's like we took all the gender energy and we just compressed it into like a single vessel. <laughs> one system, all the gender. Yes. <laughs> it's like it's like it's 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 like a neutron star. There's just like yeah. all this, there's like all this pressure, and it's it's all confined into this like tiny space. Oh, <laughs> uh, this is I you know not being a gender fluid person i understand where some of this gender fluidity comes from because i'm like yeah no sometimes you know i remember waking up and being a non-binary person or like waking up and being a masculine person mm -hmm. and it's not that like i personally am that but i might have someone who's co-fronting with me who does feel that way or does feel a lot stronger towards that non-binary um can <laughs> non-binary um experience sorry i was laughing uh Near me, just sit, put yes. slaps roof of car. This, this baby, baby can pitch so much, so gender. much gender. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah, this this baby can fit so much gender in her. Yes. Um, so yeah, um, it, gender is so critical to DID, just like DID is uh, so critical to our own gender experience mm -hmm. no then and that makes a lot of sense um 
Now, what can folks working in trans activism and disability activism do to be more welcoming and affirming to plural systems? The biggest thing is ask, you know, who's fronting today? Great question. Something that my therapist and I developed together is every time that I walk into her office, she asks, who do I have today? You know, and that works for us. And it, and it might not work for everyone else who has a system, but it, just like we are such advocates of asking for pronouns and asking for names and everything, um, that should be the standard for everything, but especially for folks with DID and, and who are mm -hmm. plurality. Um, because when you are able to ask who is fronting, you open up the door for those alters who might have social anxiety, who might mm -hmm. be um scared of what might happen if they show themselves mm -hmm. that you are showing them that you are welcoming an open space um to allow them um a chance to to be recognized um juliet maddie says being asked who's fronting is so nice a chance to be recognized exactly you know it's it's it is the recognition that's important um it also opens the door for conversations. If you meet someone and you ask them what their name and pronouns are, and then, you know, you get to talking and uh, maybe you meet up again a couple of days later and they use a different name or pronoun, um, that is a way to open a conversation and to start that, mm. that, that dialogue. Um, and it allows for pluralities especially, but even gender diverse folks to share their identities and to to be more open and to be more visible about that mm -hmm. um, other ways that trans and disability advocates can be more open to plural uh spaces is having places that people who experience catatonia like di dissociative catatonia like myself are able to sit down or lay down or, um, you know, be physically safe. Uh, there are often times where we need to dissociate for one reason or another, and there isn't anything around. And so the only option is to fall or lay on the ground. And that isn't always the safest, um, the safest no, place or not. thing for us. Um, so, you know, being aware of seating, which goes back to our disability conversation of let's make sure that there is accessible seating and accessible areas um, for, for people with all disabilities. Um, it's also important to recognize that um, individuals who are pluralities or who have DID um, may not want to talk about it. Uh, and may just want to have their own experience and be recognized for that, um, you know, just as though it's never a trans person's job to educate, it's never a system's job to educate, you know, and um, so if it is something that you have people in your life who do have DID, um, who you want to learn more about DID, um, you know, whatever the situation may be, it's your job to educate yourself and to learn. Um, and it's not the system's job who, you, who you're talking to. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I can think of in activism. 
I guess just in daily life, something to keep in mind too is um, to not make a big deal out of it. Yeah. You know, I can't tell you how often when I talk about DID, the conversation is then all about DID. Yeah. And sometimes I just want to have coffee and talk about the new you know, movie that came out or whatever, yeah. or how Gwen Stacy in the Spider-Verse movie is trans, you know, like that. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, it's important to, um, to also recognize that, that there is some, uh, that there is a space for it, but it's also not a thing that we necessarily want to have a big deal. Of. Yeah. And I think that's something that like every trans person can relate to, or really anyone that's part of a marginalized group it's it's whatever whatever it is that makes you different is is the thing that everyone always wants to talk about and it's like sometimes you're just like man I just I just want to get my carton of milk that's yeah exactly <laughs> so uh but yeah I, I I think you bring up a good point that it's um you need to create that environment that to make that person comfortable to talk about that if they want to right mm-hmm. so when you're asking the questions like who's fronting today um that kind of gives the opportunity to, because, because like you said, like someone might have social anxiety and some people just need to be invited to do things and they won't do things exactly. on their own initiative. And that's something that is, uh, I very much relate to, uh, as someone that I'm, I'm basically a vampire. You have to invite me into your house. So I won't go in. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I, I understand that energy big time. Yes. Yes. So, um, and yeah, just kind of, it's like, would you like to do this? And some people need that. And, and even if that person doesn't want to at that time, at least they, they know that they are safe to do so at that time. So, um, I think, I think it's also important to recognize that the point, I guess, is the word I'm going with. I don't really like that, but it, it's kind hmm. of the, the reason for DID existing is as a protection, you know, and as a, like, um, as a coping mechanism. And Mm -hmm. so when you open the door for an alter to say, oh, it's actually not this person who, you know, it's not on today, or it's not, you know, whoever, um, you are creating a space that then feels safer and allows the mm-hmm. altars to not feel on edge as much um you know it's really challenging for child altars for example i have got a couple of child altars to mm-hmm. feel safe out in the world because they are in this adult body and perceived as an adult but they are like developmentally like a 7 year old yeah. <laughs> um and so it's when you are opening that door you're allowing the altars that might be hidden and the altars that might not necessarily feel safe otherwise to show themselves and not need to mask and not dedicate that energy to to that experience I mean as trans people I think that's something that we can really vibe with you know I can't tell you how many times I've had to mask as a masculine person just to feel safe um Hmm. so it's it's a way to allow alters to feel safer and to show their experiences Mm -hmm. 
Well, this has been uh, a, a very interesting conversation, very illuminating. This is, uh, I mean, I, I know I learned a lot about, uh, about plurality today. I'm very glad. I definitely learned a lot about uh, disability. I hope for those of you listening also learned a lot. Uh, we do have some concluding questions that we like to ask our guests. Uh, first of all, is there anything that we missed about the intersection of gender and disability that you'd like to make sure you say? I just want to reiterate the fact that if you are a disabled person, if you have a disability, um, if you have experiences that do not align with the ableist culture that we have, you are valid and you are accepted and you are welcome at at my pride. You're welcome at, yes. you know, at my events and um, that we should be raising those voices just as much as we should be raising BIPOC voices and, um, you know, other social, I don't like the term social minorities, but that's kind of what I'm going to be going with here, which is, um, you know, we should be raising groups. marginalized groups. Thank you. That was the word I was looking yes. for. Yes. <laughs> um, we should be raising the voices of marginalized groups in the queer community and mm -hmm. in these communities that um, are already marginalized. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I'd say keep thinking about that and don't be afraid to raise your voice just because you aren't necessarily a, you know, a able-bodied, you know, able-minded person. Your voice matters, your experience matters, and it's important that we share all of that. Yeah. That's that's a wonderful message and something I wholeheartedly agree with. So. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. I, I also just wanted to say um, DID should be talked about more as well. Um, mm. and, and it's important that we recognize that gender and disability and DID are all under the same umbrella of activism for me in mm. my life. And they can be for you as well. Um, I'm trying to add other, um, you know, activist identities to that. Um, but I, I speak from my own lived experience. And so, sure, you know, sure. I want everyone to be able to speak from their own lived experiences and to feel like they can, especially in these trans and queer spaces. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's kind of been the recurring theme of our whole talk today is we, we need to talk about this more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, so there is a question that way I always love to ask um, because unfortunately the, uh, the the framing of uh, you know discussion of trans transness these days is often focused around uh, you know trauma or or you know um, being hurt or or whatnot. But uh, I think it's far more important to talk about trans joy. Um, so can you share experience with us with gender euphoria? I'm so glad you're asking me this question because yes. this is how I end my show every single time awesome. I with love the it. gender euphoria. Um, I think today's gender euphoria for me is I got a new black lipstick um, and I wore it oh. out the other day and I felt like such, such a good, like bad queen, you know? Mm. Um, and it was, it was like so validating and euphoric for like my goth, aesthetic and feeling um, awesome. <laughs> that it was it was a good time <laughs> yeah I mean this is something that uh you know trans masks in the audience may not uh 
fully get, but oh boy, his makeup. It's oh my god, makeup is just incredible. Uh think about it. like getting yes. that new shirt or binder or something. Like that yes. is the experience for for trans femmes with it. Pardon yeah, because like, I mean, know. it's it's not as if trans masked folks have no experience with makeup. Yeah, sign female at birth. I'm sure you learn makeup at some point in your life, but it doesn't have that same kind of euphoria that it it brings for us who are for for us who are trans femmes. So it also uh, has that like hinge of like forbiddenness, you know, like that little bit mm-hmm. of like this is a forbidden thing that I'm doing. And that makes me feel like rebellious. Like I'm a little bit like of a rebel spirit. Um, <laughs> like I had swatches from all the different lipsticks on my wrist. And I was like, I feel like I did something that I wasn't supposed to, even though I know it's totally socially acceptable for me. Oh, to do yeah. this. You know, like it, and it felt like validating and so such a good experience. Oh, um, that's, that's interesting because that's, that's a very, um, when you say it's like the you know forbidden or whatever, so like my reaction to that is so different because really, I'm, yeah, because um, I mean, I was I had so much anxiety with it. Mm. Uh, so like I remember like as a kid, like I would try to you know sneak on some makeup sometimes when no mm-hmm. one was looking, and even when I started transitioning, I mean, like I had to have a friend take me to Sephora because I couldn't I couldn't go by myself. I was too scared, and. I- so- I think some of that comes with accepting and understanding your own identity, though. Mm -hmm, Like, mm -hmm. I don't think that because I fully understand. I had the same experience. The first time I like went full makeup shopping, I had to have like three people with me just Mm -hmm. so I would like one, have the accountability and actually get something that I wanted. And two, to have the like support and friendship. Um, But yeah, no, now that I'm like a couple of years more than a couple of years into my transition Mm -hmm. um it still feel it still has that tinge of like anxiety but with this like oh I'm like tearing down the system I'm doing something that like the society doesn't want me to do um and so it kind of has that feeling to me too but I I fully understand where you're coming from with that I kind of like got over that like oh I'm being a rebel I mean yeah like I mean society perceives me as a woman now so it just like this is part of the expectation that I wear makeup these days mm-hmm. so I actually I normally do my makeup for the show I just I mean I just kind of was busy right before so I didn't have time but like I mean if I'm going out I'm, I'm doing my makeup and I don't feel bad about it I don't, I don't feel I don't I really don't feel anything about it this is just something that like I do that makes me I think makes me look pretty and mm-hmm. like is validating to me and I do it for my own reasons but like um, I, that, that whole sense of, of going against society's rules. I don't get that. It's to me, it's like, if anything, I'm following society's rules by, by putting on makeup. <laughs> I think that's non-binary in me. It's like, yeah. the, like breaking up, uh, the, the like stereotypes and also like the, mm. um, the, the swatches, you know, that, to mm-hmm. me, like I've never swatched before. And so it was like a, oh, this feels like different and new. And mm. I think also some of that like goth kind of rebellious nature is already yes. in there. And so it was kind of like a euphoric experience all the way around. Yes. No, I, I and, and, and I love that for you. And um, uh, I had a thought there and I lost it. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think you need, I, I think you hit the nail on the head is that that's kind of uh, like the difference between like the non-binary experience and the binary experience is like, 
um, like I try to fulfill societal expectations of what's expected out of women, whereas like people who are non-binary are kind of doing their own thing because there aren't any societal expectations of what a non-binary person should be. So you're really just kind of making up your own rules. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, I also put this slit in my eyebrow the other day and that was like such a euphoric experience as well. Cause I was like, like, oh, I've, it's like changing my look so drastically. And I realized that it's not, but it is, you know? (laughs) I mean, honestly, I thought that was like a scar. I thought you like got into a fight with someone and be like, oh, yeah, you should see the, yeah. you should see the, you, other should, guy. you should see the other gal. <laughs> no, it's intentional. I, I, uh, I just wanted to, you know, draw back to that queer experience. I, I mean, that's really it. It's like, it's always mm-hmm. just making up your own rules and drawing back to that queer experience. Yeah. And it's just kind of like, sometimes I feel like when I go out and I don't put on makeup, that's when I feel like I'm being a rebel. Cause like, nah, I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> even gonna try to like pass. I'm just gonna do my own thing. I love it. Hey, you pass excellently without makeup. So, you know, I think that yeah. you're beautiful and amazing. Oh, thank you so much. I actually like, um, I had, I mean, this is supposed to be a show about you, but I mean, uh, if I can share a story about passing. Please do, yeah. <laughs> So um, I am a bit of a gym rat. So I I go to the gym, you know, like, you know, four times a week. And uh, I have a friend that, you know, we we talk sometimes. And I put zero effort into passing at the gym. Like I'm literally, I I tie my hair up in in, uh, in a hair tie. I'm wearing like a tank top and my my workout clothes. I'm I'm disheveled. I sometimes have like visible facial hair and I'm just like zero effort. And I start talking to my friend and she's like, it's like uh, the conversation turned to PCOS. And she's like, oh yeah, you have PCOS, right? I'm like, I don't know what that is. It's like, oh, it's like when there's a problem with like your ovaries. I'm like, well, I definitely don't have that and she's like wait are you trans like yeah like i like she had no idea i was trans (laughs) i have been i for a while i thought about telling people i had pcos like before i was like confident enough in my own transition to like not Mm -hmm. feel like i need to pass but um yeah no i have also been told oh you have pcos right and i'm like no no i don't i'm just trans no, no ovaries here. <laughs> no, no ovaries to be found. <laughs> 404 ovaries not found. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, that's kind of uh, like not so much that part, but the, the, it's kind of like a universal trans experience where like we kind of hyper-focus on the things that we think are going to get us clocked. Uh, whereas the reality is that most people are completely oblivious to these things and will never notice until you point them, point them out. So I actually have, I have quite a few stories about things that I thought were going to get me clocked or things that I thought people were going to notice when I first started transitioning and people just don't notice these things. So they don't, it's, you know, we are so caught up in our own Mm -hmm. brains about like our own experiences and what we think about and everyone is like that and I think we just sometimes forget that that like everyone is caught up in their Mm -hmm. own experiences and caught up in their own brains and so um you know I don't think about what the person across the street is wearing or has or whatever yeah because I'm just like 
thinking about my own stuff like, oh, am I going to cross the street on time today? <laughs> yeah, it's like you have to try really hard to get people's attention. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's my advice for any any of your baby transes like listening right now. Uh, and if you're if you are having some anxiety, if you're worried about, you know, trying some different presentation, honey, just do it like no one's going to notice or care. One of my favorite things that I've heard is I am a statement. And I think that that is like the embodiment of of me and my gender is like, I walk into a room and I am a statement. I am the mm. like attention. Um, but that took a lot of work to get up to. You know, mm-hmm. I'm four years in my transition. I feel confident in who I am and where I'm at. Um, but that isn't everyone else's experience. And so maybe someday you'll get to, I am an experience. I am a, I am a like presence. I am the person who walks in the room and takes up all of the air. Um, <laughs> but sometimes you're just like, I want to hide in my little like cloak and just be in the background. Don't notice yes. me. Um, oh my God. Yes. Both of those are totally acceptable. And oh awesome my God, I understand that energy so well, because like, Sometimes I, I do just want to like disappear in, in, into the, the, the background, but there are other times where like, I, I literally am like sucking all the air from the room. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, that this, as trans people, we have very good experiences in both, yes, like the public yes. speaking and the do not perceive me. Yes. Yes. And that, that's something that like, even way before I realized I was trans, like I would just, you know uh that very much part of my experience so i i i am like right there with you <laughs> uh so we're going to wrap up with our final question uh what would you like to make sure that folks know about your perspective on gender and non-binary trans and or gender diverse issues um i am a huge advocate for all gender experiences um, you know, I, I think that it's really important, um, that, uh, we talk about these things. Um, you know, I, I currently sit as chair of a trans organization that's doing a lot of advocacy and support work. Um, I kind of mentioned that I am based out of Minnesota, um, which Mm. just signed the trans refuge bill. So, you know, Mm. we are trying to take in trans folks into Minnesota, of course, there are systematic things that are kind of problematic with that. Um, yeah. But I try to be a safe place for everyone, and especially those who are trans, gender diverse, non-binary, whatever the experience you have may be. Um, and also, I may be young. <laughs> I'm 21. But you can be an elder at any age, and you can have True. experiences that help other people at any age um the the greatest messages that i've received are from 65 70 year olds who are like i listened to your podcast and i just found out that i was trans and i like you know and and so it's really important that we talk about these things and share that you can be a baby trans at any age and you can Mm -hmm. be an elder at any age it's just the way that you carry yourself and the way that you talk about it and the way that you Mm -hmm you want to help people. Yeah, no, that's, and you bring up an excellent point. I mean, uh, there, there are definitely people that I look up to as like my elders that are younger than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause you know, they started their journey. Cause I mean, like I started my trans journey in my late thirties. Yeah. So, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm still kind of a baby trans. Um, <laughs> and, you know, 
a lot of like my quote unquote trans role models are people who are significantly younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like you said, you can be an elder at any age, you can be, you know, a baby trans at any age. And I, I think for, for folks who, who do transition later in life, you know, there's, um, there are things that unrelated to transness that's, you know, we can kind of impart some of our like old person wisdom onto the younger generation and they can impart yeah. their gender wisdom onto the older generation. So we can kind of help each other out. Uh, so I know I've definitely been helped out a lot by um, folks who are quite a bit younger than me. So, and I love talking with like actual elders, I guess, you know, uh, people mm-hmm. who, who are a lot older than me um, because there are experiences. I had a really good experience talking with a couple of elders who told me that they didn't have role models, you know, queer role models when they were growing mm. up or experiencing their identities. And so it's it's okay to have role models who are younger than you. And it's also okay to recognize if you don't have any role models yet who like identify with your gender or who um, who experience the similar things as you, because everyone's journey is different. And I just hope that we can all get to a place where we're happy with who we are as people. Mm-hmm. I love that. All right. Well, this has been a a wonderful talk. Uh, I hope everyone had as much fun with this as I did. Uh, So Anna is a disabled lesbian and queer trans woman. Faye is the trans co-host of the Transgender Podcast and an intersectional activist. And you can find their podcast over at transgenderpod.com. And you can also find all their socials in the chat. And if you're listening to this in the future, it'll be in the uh, notes in the down below. Uh, so the, here is this week's clatter query that you, our audience, can answer on all social media platforms. What are some ways you can support the disabled trans people out there? And I think we talked about some, but I also think it's important that we talk about other ideas. Awesome. All right. So next week, there is no genderful. Uh, so genderful is only the first three Mondays of every month. So I'll be taking the next week off. Uh, and on July 31st, our guest will be Rihanna Prince Zaddy, they, them pronouns. And uh, we're discussing druidry, a drag, and neurodivergence. And uh, later this week, we actually have our stream anniversary for the Gender Master channel. So be sure to uh, tune in for that. And I think we're also going to be doing a special event for Master's birthday coming up soon. So uh, be sure to tune in for that. And you can also check out my channel. Uh, I haven't been streaming lately, but uh, I'll be coming back soon. So you can check me out at NASA Attack, both here on Twitch and on Twitter. And uh, also on YouTube, where I post you know fun videos of me losing all self-control and being completely just just losing my mind playing celeste <laughs> uh and and other fun videos so i actually just posted a video today of uh the 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 cursed stream during our uh our most recent mutual aid event so uh go check that out as well so i hope everyone enjoys the rest of their day thanks for tuning in and take care everyone Genderful would like to thank our guests for being on this podcast. If you'd like to catch us live, join us on Mondays at twitch.tv forward slash gendermaster. Show notes will appear in the edited version of the show on Fridays on both YouTube and podcasting platforms. If you have a question you would like the host to answer or are gender diverse and would like to request an interview, please send an email to genderfulpodcast at gmail.com or sign up via the website at genderfulpodcast.com. 
As a gender diverse community, The Clatter wants to assure our listeners that we are prepared to moderate our spaces. We will get positive and negative feedback on these shows and topics, and we have a moderation team on our channels, socials, and Discord server ready to deal with this. Please join our Discord server at discord.gg forward slash meowster to meet the community and get a regular digest of solidarity resources. You can also support us with subscriptions on Patreon, following and reviewing us on your favorite podcasting platform, or engaging with our posts and content on social media at genderfulpod and at gendermeowster. You can take a few moments to also rate the show. We will post any five-star reviews on our socials, so get creative. Mention a special interest of your own, a project you're working on, or even say hi to your comfort person in your review. What power? This show is made possible by volunteers, tips, and subscriptions. Shout out to the folks helping us coordinate guests, edit the podcast, moderate the live chat, and post on our socials. Artist credit for Jennifer. Genderful's theme song is called Hope by Free Range Megs, a.k.a. Soma. The Gender Meowster logo was designed by That's Barnaby and edited with consent by Transgriffin. Genderful's pre-show is wrangled by Juice Tex. Genderful is edited and mixed by Transgriffin and Alexis Fandom. Genderful's social media is managed by queer to help Genderful is hosted by Atlas O. Phoenix and Gender Meowster. Genderful is the intellectual property of Gender Meowster. All rights reserved. Trans rights are human rights. That's right.